Hello and welcome to the PropTech Hot Seat on iPropG Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we explore trends and technologies driving innovation across the built environment. The show is brought to you in partnership with PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors, and indeed for industry leaders. In the PropTech Hot Seat today is Guy Windsor-Lewis, CEO and founder of Local. Guy, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, not at all, Carol. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and my dog, Bruce, he's probably going to howl during the uh, the interview but well if you are a regular listener you will know that i regularly record with a with a dog on my knees. oh right okay so, i'm not alone dogs, then we we are open to all species um so okay. they're very very welcome but uh, and you are very welcome today most Thank people you. who have been following the the evolution of prop tech will be familiar with locale as maybe you know one of the one of the original proponents of yeah. prop tech and I don't want to say evangelist, but I don't think that would be too far off. So maybe just talk to people who aren't familiar about Locale and what it is that you do. So we are an uh, occupier experience platform. And what that means basically is that we we sort of address all the different sectors within real estate. So a lot of our competition and colleagues um, just look at commercial office or resi or whatever. But we look at everything. So we've got retail, we've got resi, we've got commercial office space. Um, we are unusual in the fact that we just focus in the UK. Uh, we have one place in Dublin, but that's that's part that's off the mainland. That's uh, that's the only place that we, we we're outside um, purely because I've, I've always felt there is huge scope um, and and, you know, the, the market is massive. So why go anywhere else? We really don't need to. It's it's pretty untapped market out there, Carol. Yeah, no, no. And do you know what? It's actually quite refreshing to hear you say that. Um, and I would actually hold the same view in Ireland, albeit a much smaller market. But I think in terms of occupier experience and user experience, I mean, unfortunately, that language is still, I mean, yes, over the last two to three to four years, it's becoming yeah. more commonplace. But um, in some way, there was certainly an element of not understanding exactly what that is. So yeah. uh, when did you found Locale? So we we started in 2005, so which does seem quite a long time ago. Um, you can probably tell by the, the grey beard and things. But um, it's taken well, no, the, the question is, guys, <laughs> were were you that grey before the startup? No, because... <laughs> God no. <laughs> Listen, I, I I feel your pain. I really do. Uh, oh, yeah. Startups, startups you can, probably, can, you can probably see the scars <laughs> on the front of my forehead from me constantly banging my head against the real estate brick wall of trying to make indents into the uh, into our lovely colleagues and friends in real estate well i think that if you were using the language of user experience or occupier experience yeah. almost two decades ago that would have been a very uh, different type of conversation absolutely floated over most people's heads and we we started as a b2b because honestly the people just did not want to engage with the end users so yeah occupiers tenants you know consumers residents call them what you will but they really didn't want to um, engage with those so we started as a very simple sort of platform basically just trying to uh, more as a communication um, and it sort of evolved into this sort of you know very complicated sort of agile property management uh, system but initially it was very just it was all about communicating and making information more transparent um, sort of on a permission bed, uh, sort of permission bed on a permission led basis. So um, yeah, sort of with big starting with big business parks. Um, in fact, we do East Point um, business park, um, which is quite a big, quite a big boy. Um, so we still do that and big mixed use estates. Um, and now it's evolved into this thing where we do visitor management, we do key holding, deliveries, 
help desks, uh, facility bookings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it's morphed, Carol, as you, as you rightly pointed out. We started very much as B2B. And then probably about seven, eight years ago, people sort of saying, oh, can we now engage with the, with the people that are actually coming into the building? So the residents, the tenants, the occupiers. So we kind of sort of morphed into this B2C um, sort of uh, beast. So we still very much have that. We have the, a portal, a platform, which the portal is very much for sort of desktop-led. So that's for your on-site um, building management teams. Who, who are coming across big spreadsheets. So they need to occupy, you know, they need to be able to manage, you know, key management and see which keys are out across a, you know, a site that's got maybe two or 300 apartments or, or you, know, you know, sort of multiple sort of um, commercial tenants in a building, um, deliveries, that sort of stuff, plus all the visitors. And you've got, you can't do it on your phone where you've, where you've you know, you've got people, we've, we've been doing the Shard for the last 12 years. Um, in fact, they've just just um, uh, re-signed from the five, which is great. Um, but you know, you you can't manage that many people coming in out of a building on a on, a, on an app. You know, yeah. just on your phone. It just you need to have a, a desktop. So we did that, and then we we sort of built the app around the sort of the B two C side. Um, but then we have a, an events business as well, um, which does sort of the well being and the polls and the surveys, and that's going very well. Um, plus, also we now have a. a, a a digital um we sort of stream digital content so which is a bit of a breakaway um but it started i we we had a lot of we do a lot of resi we do about forty thousand resi sort of units um homes and um and it struck me early doors that there was quite a cross-section of demographic and it's all very well for the for the for should we say the younger ones to to access information on their desktop and they were they were familiar with technology but should we say the sort of the, the silver surfers weren't quite as keen. So it was basically trying to put that information in front of them. So when they walk into their foyer, they can actually see the relevant information there and then. So it was always a dream to sort of have this sort of digital sort of content sort of being relayed onto screens and things. So we launched that about two, two and a half years ago, and it's gone down really well. Oh, fantastic. So, There's so much in what you've said there that I want to get into a little bit of greater detail. And yeah. by the way, I'm not at all surprised to hear that your foray into the Irish market was through East Point, because obviously there's PropTech pioneers there led yes. by Gavin Gallagher. And yes. Gavin actually has a show on the iProperty radio channel. Ah, so well, he's always he's always showcasing innovation and ready to lead when it comes to taking a chance on, on technologies and ideas and he he will generally be many years uh, ahead of the ground so actually i think uh, east point has been perhaps the the testing ground for a lot of startups right. yeah. uh, and, and not that you were at that time but um but for a lot of startups and it's something for which we are so grateful because we need business park operators who are, and resi operators and uh, who yeah. are willing to embrace technology yeah. um it, you know, in a way, I, I'm so interested to hear the transition that you've taken because actually I would have put you in the bracket of B2B. So I didn't realize that you were doing that direct to consumers. So when you when you talk about kind of the B2C offering, um, is that is that being paid for by the community or is it still being paid for by the industry as in by the portfolio owners and managers? Very rarely. So on on legacy stuff, it all comes out of the service charge. Mm -hmm. So that would be the tenants paying for that, or the the residents coming out of the sort of the sort of you know domestic service charge. Um, for new bills or refurbs, then yes, that does come out of the the, the capex or the capital expenditure mm -hmm. fund. So that does come out, and then and then they will 
mostly they will then cover that in our experience sort of for two or three years so to actually soften the blow so get it up and running and cover the first two or three years of, of sort of annual fees license fees as we call them and then they'll after that they will then hand that over to the the cost over to the uh to the service charge but yeah and, but, and but then in terms of the you know i i i'm really interested in that transition because you know when you talk about establishing communities it goes so far beyond the amenities or even the events uh, um, and things like that. Um, and I'm always trying to understand not just where the value is, but the value as it is perceived. So yes. for the communities, you know, do you have data on, say, the take up of communities when that transition is happening? How many or what proportion of your communities would mm. opt to continue yeah. with it? I mean, we 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 track that quite carefully in the in the commercial world. It's not quite as easy to track because you don't know how many people are actually in that building. How We can tell how many tenant companies are because we've got to register the tenant companies, obviously. But you don't know how many people are there. And especially post COVID. I mean, it's now it's a, you know suck your thumb and put your finger in the air you have n really you know not very many yeah you know, it's 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 becoming less clear or it's, it was very unclear and it's becoming clearer now but it's still pretty foggy in terms of trying to, to to work out how many people are actually accessing the building at any one time you can do it through your occupier through your your gates transition um uh and your, your visitor management stuff but even then it's quite difficult to work out how many people are actually accessing a building if they're not Sort of, you know, sort of smart on that sense. The resi guys, it's slightly more diff, uh, slightly more easier. So we have, um, so if if they're for every one apartment, there's probably two and a half, three people living in that apartment. So we have about 160, 170 percent engagement or registration, which means that we've got one and a half people per apartment across our portfolio who are registered and using it. And you can, all, but it's it's more of a subjective thing for them. So mm. it's it's about you know it's personal it's I, it's where I live I want access to this information and also things like deliveries things like key holding you know that stuff is used on a day to day basis on on multiple times so yeah it's it's quite easy to track the sort of the the use of that so in terms of engaging with those guys it's a lot easier with the with the commercial guys again there are sort of you know gatekeepers as I would call them which is your 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 on site teams. And it depends how engaged they are as to how engaged the the, the commercial community is. And yeah. you can put you can do lots and lots of things around that. But essentially, it's the it's the it's the on-site teams that are going to, you know, sort of you know gauge whether it's there is a high level of engagement or a low level engagement. Yeah, and that and that makes sense. Um, guy, tell me from from setting out to found this uh were you coming from a technology background were you coming from a real estate what prompted you to kind of recognize the poor occupier experience at that time um i i had a business in the late 90s um uh which i closed down at the end of the 90s and went and did something else um but one of the last things we did it was a web business one of the last things we did was engage with a company called MEPC who were the, i don't know if you remember them but at the time they were a very very big um business park operator in the uk so they had about 26 27 different business parks and we engaged mm. with the one in stains um and they had you know they wanted to look into this they had some issues with regards to sort of just basic communication with their tenants and they had ibm there who were quite a big force they had cisco coming in uh informix different sort of tech companies and they just wanted to have a platform where they could just tell people what was going on and they wanted to throw events there 
they had a big sort of, you know, sort of dome in the middle, like a cafe, and they wanted to tell people what was going on. And they really struggled with that, but they wanted to reach not just the the tenant officers, as they say, but also the 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 the, the wider um, uh, range of people as well. So yeah, so we put in some things like we were engaging with Waitrose at work, which was the precursor to Ocado, um, and you had to pay a fee. I mean, can you imagine? So we paid about three and a half grand a year for a license, which we paid to Waitrose, so they could come and deliver and people could order food and and come and pick it up. And it was it was bonkers, but. So we did a quite a few cool things there, and then and then I went and got something else because there was no traction. It was really hard, and then 2005, it slowly started sort of started business again, and it started to build. And we engaged with DTZ and AMEC and a few people like this, and and then we went through the 2008-9 crash, and it was just like now you've got to diversify, so more clients go into Resi, and then it's kind of and then we had a really good time from sort of 2011-12 until about March 2020, really. So, <laughs> Well, and, well that, that's interesting in itself because having come through, and look, similarly, I've been self-employed in the, in the um, property industry for a similar period, and having come through the crash, you kind of think you, you've seen it all, and then COVID hit, and, yes. you know, then, uh, and now we've had some other really unprecedented um, global and and Irish events. How, how was COVID for you? Because I... I would imagine that if you were able to embrace the the digital offering, um, there was probably something that could be done that's interesting and different. Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, it was it was a really challenging time. I mean, I, I think from a business point of view, um, there were some challenges because a lot of uh, quite a, not lots of but quite a few people decided to to um, chuck it in, so they didn't they didn't want to continue. Um, the resi resi did okay but not great but it, it we were prevented from actually sort of meeting people and things so that was more tricky to actually just get out there and and, and talk to people um but i think the, the the thing that that will you know follow me to my grave on on the covid thing was the was the just the the raising of well-being and i think emotional well-being within certainly within our company and for a you know for a for a guy of, of of my age and background and privileges to actually witness firsthand the stuff that was going on was extraordinary. Um, and we we are still you know obviously we're sort of very on it. We've we've always had a really good culture in the business, and we've always looked after people. I guess you know I I come from a background where I've been made redundant, so I sort of went back into the to this sort of world. And three or four early people, you know, two of which are still with us you know, 10, 12, 13 years later, they're still there, you know, hadn't had great work experiences. So we really all sort of set out to say, well, actually, you know, we can, I don't want to be a family because we're not a family, yeah. but in terms of a work base and a work family and a work culture, absolutely, we do try and look after the the people that work here. And I, it was absolutely gutting. It was, it was heart-wrenching to, and we had, we had, you know, when, when, you, when you get up in the morning and you go to work and there are people coming in and they're just, bursting to tears in front of you and on the sitting and saying, I just, I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And the level of anxiety and the level of, of distress that, that COVID in all its wonderment caused was just awful. So yeah, I think, I think that's the one thing that will, that will stay with me. Um, and that I think we probably all, all learned from. I, re- I really ha- hope everyone has learned from this because, you know, you look around now and there's, you know, I see the figures there's half a million people who are, still out of work due to due to mental health issues and 
there's another half million people who just you know chucked it in because they just didn't want to. And those are guys in their guys mm. and girls in their you know late forties, early fifties who at the very first opportunity to retire took it. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you've seen this and you've spoken about this. So there's there's a million people out there who are who could be on you know around around and just not. And then that then caused the great reshuffle and then the whole you know and then inflation. So it's been a <laughs> it has not been easy for SMEs like myself um, to to sort of you know navigate our way through the last three or four years at all. Yeah. So no, it's been it's been hard. It's been hard work. Yeah. No, it, I I fully I fully appreciate that. And I think you know one of the things that when we're talking about um, the construction industry or the property industry or, or right across the built environment, we always use language like oh, it's such a resilient industry, and actually. I, 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 what I saw during COVID is people were worn down oh, trying to be resilient. Um, so I, 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 I've stopped using that that terminology now because actually I think it's almost an excuse, yeah. uh, for people who are put in really difficult positions that aren't improved by government policies and right. and on other policies. Right. So actually, I'm going to stop calling our industry resilient as a badge of honor. We shouldn't need to be as resilient right. as. As we have had to be, and that's not just since COVID. That's that's kind of spanning over decades. But I, I, what I'm really curious about for somebody who recognised the need to improve the user's experience in property back in t- uh, 2005, and I would say, fast forward ten years from there, we had not made much progress at all. I, I think <laughs> no, genuinely, like, no, no, um, I totally and, and I'd be interested to hear your take on it. But to me, it feels like there was very not just slow progress but resistance almost within the industry oh, oh and, yeah and, and it feels like only in the last number of years yeah that actually and, and when i say number of years i mean literally probably kind of maybe 60 or well maybe um um since maybe 20, uh, 2019 so yeah. i think it was we were starting to see it before covid and then it held back Absolutely. We were starting to see the signs. I mean, we were we were we were making good progress in the sort of the mid-teens, I guess. So the mm. sort of 15, 16, 17 was our real, you know, we had we had good growth and we went mm. from sort of five people to 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 25, 30 people in that time. So we yeah, we and that's all organic, Carol. That's that's no VC money, that's no P private equity backing, that's just you know, in reinvesting on a continual cycle, um, which was exa- uh, you know exciting and 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 bringing all the the technology and and the marketing and finance in house, so we we are a, a complete one stop shop. Um, but also looking at you know different sectors. So as as more and more competition came in, offering more and more whirly bits and smart systems and all that sort of stuff, you then look at it on a more sort of cute basis, and you go, well, hang on a second, there is there is five percent at the top of the market, which is. You know, they got more money than God. These are the really big, shiny buildings, lots of glass, you know, huge service charge accounts, and they can do anything they want. And and are they going to go for us? Well, yes, they are. But also, they are, the pool is now much, much bigger. So you're always trying to go for your own pool. So we made a decision early doors, maybe three, four years ago, to actually try and just go for the tier two, tier three buildings. So actually not be hugely expensive try and be affordable and then that then manifested itself in our tech equity report which we brought out last year which i don't know if you've seen or not but we i sort of said okay to my to my new marcoms guy i said let's go and let's go and get let's go and corral some people from the industry 
and get them all to, to write about this. So we asked them competition and they said, oh, no, it can't be seen to be led by you. And I was like, OK, well, that's fine. But we're all at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got some really good influential people, some really good influencers and writers and Melanie Leach from the BPF and, and Michael Beckerman from Cretech and people who know the, know the industry. And we got them all to write about this one thing. And the whole axis of the, of, the, of, the, of the paper was to say it doesn't have to be expensive and it, and it can be affordable. And actually, we should be looking to just roll out that whole digitalization across everything because that's where the opportunity is and that's where the benefit comes in. And I, I still, you know, you're saying sort of, you know, ha- have we progressed? And I go, well, yeah, in many ways, the sort of the, the, the top end has, has almost sort of, you know, we're talking about AI and I go to these conferences, I'm thinking that there's absolutely no point in talking about AI because 90% of the buildings in the UK have nothing. I, I, I'm sure they know what AI is and I'm not being, you know, whatever it is, but it's just, it just, it just, I find it mind boggling that we are talking about AI in, in industry where 90% of the, of the buildings have zero or very little digitalization. That's, 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 a, um, <laughs> that's a very pessimistic estimation because actually I, I would hold the view that there are companies using and relying upon AI that don't even understand they are because their tech providers are doing it. Um, so, and I, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought that the proportion that is not reaching to even a semi-smart state would be that high now in the era of ESG reporting, because it's just difficult to finance unless you're you're yeah. able to track data. And you just can't do that without uh, good tools and technology in place. So I think maybe I'm naive, but I, I would have been much more optimistic, even about the state of the, the older buildings. And in fact, I'm really excited about the technology that can be deployed across older buildings um, to enhance not just the data reporting, but actually the the user experience. You know, when we talk yeah. about, you know, wayfinding through university campus of all of yep. these two, three and four hundred year old buildings up to. Um, I, I think that's really exciting. So it is. There's a different and type of tech gets rolled out in the shiny buildings and it's new and it's exciting and that's great. But there's massive potential in our existing stuff. Huge, huge. Yeah. And even just get on the ladder, get on the first step. Yeah. You know, even just like transparency. So you can have an app and you can have announcements and you can just find out what's going on, let alone and, accessing documentation or, you know, booking your room or God forbid, you know, yeah. that sort of stuff. I mean, but but yes, I mean, wayfinding, absolutely perfect. You know, but, I, I think actually you highlighted something that we have touched on previously, and I think it's maybe a little bit of a warning bell to the industry, but but I've seen it across uh, urban planning. I've seen it across um, the architectural design and across construction and real estate transactions and into the management and facility side of it. But the reality is the gap between those who are embracing technology and those who aren't, that gap is widening to the extent that I would be very concerned about those left behind. And I don't think it's in anybody's best interest. I know, you know, there's an attitude out there that sometimes, well, the cream rises to the top, but actually we need a full ecosystem. So we actually want our competitors to be better as well. We, you know, we do want to bring uh, more of the industry. Yes, there'll be fall off and, and that's appropriate, but, we want I, I do think that we need to bring more of the industry with us. And, you know, part of it, I I, I wonder when we started um, evangelizing around prop tech, did we alienate people? And I and I, I hold myself to account for that, too. But the reality is, you know, 
often we talk about data without explaining what it is. We talk about user experience without explaining what it is. So for somebody who's been a pioneer in this space, going back two decades, like what what does user experience and the occupier experience mean to you? What does it look like in 2023? Oh, I, I think you've got to keep it simple. And I absolutely agree with what you're saying. You know, it's so we we set out to really, you know, demystify this. So to put it into layman's terms. So 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 people so a a building manager. So I roll back 18 years, and the vast majority of the building managers were ex-servicemen. So a lot of ex you know, army, RAF, whatever it is, Navy guys. They they were walking around with a you know with a with a with a hatchet or whatever it was going to to, to bang the, the 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 boilers and that sort of stuff and they really were not very interested in sort of front of house and service and that whole sort of you know the sizzle when you walk into a building and you get the greeting and everything else that complete that was starting to change so I remember I, I actually bumped into the the first Knight Frank um, building manager, uh, a lady at um, Waterhouse Square, which is the big red block Prudential building in uh, in uh, Midtown, I think it is. And 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 she, you know, she we have a laugh about it because it was so basic. But my thing was very much because I'm not from a technical background. Was you've got to make it simple, so you cannot present people with something that that's going to go uh and, and people have a sort of a tech phobic reaction and they go, no, can't do it. And actually, yes, you can. You just got to, it's, it's about pictures. It's about almost putting it, I hate to say this, but it's almost like so making it childlike in its appeal to sort of, you know, storify it and that sort of stuff is to just make it really simple. So you press it, it works. It does what it says on the tin and, and demystify it, make it less complicated. What I think sadly is happening now is that there are a lot of companies out there with a lot of money and a lot of backing, and they feel they've got to fill this 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 cup of joy of technology full to the brim. So they've got hundreds of different elements within it, and I think people look at it and go, ah, and they end up using a tiny amount. Even 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 for our clients, you know, we're always trying to sort of encourage people to use stuff, but they 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 end up using the five or six things that they are are comfortable with they use on a day-to-day basis and and the rest they they are occasional users but but does that a, does that not mirror the experience that that really though mirrors the experience of most people and how they use anything our computers our, our laptops our phones yeah. our our cars we only use it to do what we know we need it to do as yep. opposed to it fulfilling its potential and, th- and this is exactly what I'm saying. It doesn't need to be expensive. So the whole thing about our mantra is it doesn't need to. Be- and I think because people read about it in the provinces and they see London and the big cities and the big buildings and talking about all this very exciting, smart stuff, they think that's ah, not for me. And actually, no, it absolutely is for you. So yeah. so get, make a call. I don't care who it is. I mean, ideally us, but I mean, it really <laughs> doesn't matter. Just get on board with it because yeah. it will change your life. And for, for one or two minutes of education, it, it really is something that, you know, as you said, otherwise, otherwise you're going to be left behind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and you're, saying, you're saying it'll change their life. You know, we wanted to enhance the lives of their customers. Yeah. Which is, and in some cases can be even a, big, a bigger driver. Um, Guy, tell me, do you define your company as a tech company or a tech driven events and experience company? Yeah, I see. I have this argument all the time with my CPO. So he would say we're we're definitely a tech business. He would say we're a SaaS business. I would say we're we're a service. So we're we're a tech service business. 
Because at the end of the day, you, you're providing a piece of technology, but it's only as good as the people who are using it. And if those people aren't using it, then there's no, there's no point in having it. You know, so we 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 have, you know, a handful of salespeople, but we probably have three times the number of support people. Mm, okay. So and that and that's just not that's 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 you know off from onboarding all the way down the line from cradle to grave, and we now and we now have this sort of, you know this this framework this journey where we have people allocated in so account managers and who who aren't in, on on the selling side they're just there to support and that's called customer success or customer support or call it what you want in terms of of, of the, the the title but it's just about making sure ringing around on an ongoing basis going to see people you know educating them providing them with support and just making sure they're using it because there is turn and churn it's not just us that's changing jobs and things it's it's all the the whole of that ecosystem is changing jobs um so you can be talking to i can be talking to you one minute and you can be the biggest fan and then i phone back two weeks later and you've gone and somebody has yeah. come in and goes oh no 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 so you, you you've got to make sure you've got to stay on it the whole time yeah that, I, you know isn't it funny we talk about technology but i mean that's the same sales experience from decades ago yeah. the, it, it, you know it's, it's one of the biggest threats to, to salespeople there um, i'm conscious of time and i i don't want to stay too much longer but um I, you know across the UK and Ireland there are so many conflicting and contradictory reports about have we fully returned post-COVID to the workplace and yet we're seeing the demand for offices um, slacking we're seeing offices change of use it's a really interesting and not always in a positive sense um, about uh, the use of offices you know the future or the, the short term and the long term future of offices uh what are you seeing on the ground with your clients in the office space? Uh, it's really interesting. So, the, the, so again, we we tend to deal with the bigger offices, um, and smaller offices are in sort of you know busy places. Mm. So we, we we're not seeing a massive drop off. I mean, in terms of sort of the, the the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday brigade, that that seems to have settled into a sort of a, a sort of normalcy. I would say um, the work from home is definitely there. Um, I, I think there is going to be a, a dropout of sort of the tier three. So those buildings that are a little bit further away from sort of the main sort of you know transport hubs, uh, those buildings that may be a little bit tired, um, are not quite as attractive, don't have as many you know attractive facilities and that sort of stuff, haven't really got a co-working element to them. And I think also we, we've got a really mad situation with rental properties here i don't know if you you've got it over there or not but we have a crazy situation where it is really expensive to rent properties um and then they've just put back the whole um uh energy and and uh, uh qualification thing so that that the, the certification thing so that that's that's gone away but there are definitely companies and we're, we're in touch with companies that are all about that refurb so seeing you know the smaller commercial buildings that are not failing but struggling i think there will be a change of use over the next five years and i think they will become more multi-use so they'll have a bit of co-working they'll have a bit of resi and they'll have a bit of retail and then there'll be a little bit of public area within that as well so what i would like to see and what I also think will happen is you'll have little oases of sort of mixed use communities coming back into those sort of you know gray, slightly darker areas in our cities that basically sort of Friday, Saturday, Sunday aren't really frequented very much. And I think you'll, you know, people will begin to fill those gaps 
that's what I hope to see. That's that's the, the know, romantic. That's the romantic in me, Carol. But no, I um, I hope you're right because actually what you're describing there is the placemaking ideal, and absolutely. actually for new schemes coming out now, yeah. that's what they strive for. It's just something we haven't done well in past decades. No. So actually, um, if we can do this in a way that's sustainable for. Uh, the industry and enjoyable for the community, then actually, I, yeah. I think that's the ideal. Um, so, yes, I hope you're right in that prediction. Uh, obviously, time will tell. And I suppose before we finish up today, because I know you've been um, really considered quite a thought leader in the prop tech space, and I know you, you've been bold about your predictions and expectations. And I, I think maybe calling out the industry when needs be, which I, I believe is very important. For 2024, on the technology side, you know, what are the trends that you're expecting to see? Uh, definitely more consolidation. So there are so there are there are now about half a dozen very, very big boys, very and girls, um, players out there who've got huge amounts of, of private equity backing. Uh, and that's not all marketing and setting up stalls in Singapore or the West Coast or whatever it is. There's a lot of that for acquisition funds. So I think there will be some consolidation, further consolidation. Um, but also I don't see, you know, I don't get me started on politics, Carol, because we would be here all blimmin' night, I tell you. But, I, you know, it, again, that's another variable that just makes navigating a business a just complete nightmare the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, I don't get me started because I will go off on one. Um, but suffice to say, I think we've got, we got an election coming up and probably in October. And I think I just I, I think people are still going to be sitting on their hands. I think it's another year of quiet, of caution. And I think maybe 2025, when people understand the Labour government, you know, isn't going to kill us all. And actually, it might be quite freeing, um, is, that, is that I think 2025 is probably 2026 will probably be better years. But I think 2024 is going to be another, not slow, but I think it'll mm. be calm. It's yeah. not going to be the race away year, that the post-COVID race away year. Because I think this, this yeah. has been better. I think next year will probably be around about the same. Um, but I think people are still nervous, They're, and and you know, the economy is not settled at all. You yeah. know, and no one in their right mind, no business people are going, oh yeah, it's all fine. You know, it's not. It's far from fine. Um, so, well, yeah. I, I I can tell you, guy, the the situation is not too dissimilar here, and we have yeah. similar political challenges that we know are going to yeah. um be more 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 uh subject to change in 2024 uh, yeah. than we've seen in the last decade and a half and that's certainly making people nervous but um, again you know I always remember we go back to basics um, you know you control what you what you can control um, yeah. and there are certain controllables for a business and unfortunately the political climate isn't one of them and um, so no. You know it, it, that that's outside of our control but I suppose from my perspective I'm, all, I'm always interested in what the industry is going to do how the industry is going to react i think that what we're seeing right now uh, prop, prop tech adoption was much too slow in my opinion and i think uh covid was a huge enabler but unfortunately adoption will only happen where there's a margin to do it and yep. i feel that margins are going to be very strained next yep. year but um look time time will tell but certainly from a placemaking perspective um I, I i hope your your trends are accurate and and certainly i'd i'd love to chat to you maybe in mid 2024 and be, see how that's going good. absolutely um, 
Thank you so much. That was no Guy Windsor-Lewis. Um, my pleasure. Thanks, Guy. That was no. Guy Windsor-Lewis, CEO and founder of Local. Thanks to our producer, Kate Tatalan, and to the audio team at Hear Me Roar Media. Before we go, just a special word of thanks to our sponsor, PropTech Ireland, for making uh, these conversations possible. And finally, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the PropTech Hot Seat here on iPropTechRadio.com. Thanks.